0: Hey! Hello! Welcome to Hollywood Party! I'm glad you made it back. I mentioned last week that we'd be doing a lady this time, because the past three guys were... Mm, party poopers. So today, we're going to live, 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 and get to know one of the most famous on-screen hostesses, Roslyn Russell. But will she be dazzling enough for our party? Oh, she better be. Grab a drink and join the party. Wow. Catherine Rosalind Russell was the fourth of seven children. She was born on June 4, 1907 in Waterbury, Connecticut. She was named after a ship that her parents sailed on once from New York to Nova Scotia. Her father, James, put himself through Yale Law School and was a director of a bank. Her mother's name is Clara, the same name as Rosa's older sister, so I hope that doesn't confuse things too much. They all lived in a 13-room Victorian mansion. It even had a sleeping porch. All the kids had braces and they rented a beach house for the summer and everybody eventually went away for higher education. They were a very Catholic family, if the seven children didn't give that away. Honestly, Ross's childhood was straight out of Meet Me in St. Louis. Both of her parents were loving and patient and very supportive. Her dad hated cars and he drove a buggy well into the 1920s, much to his children's embarrassment. Probably the worst thing that happened for Roz while she was growing up was she almost drowned. She was swimming at the beach, and she got into a spot that she just couldn't handle, and the lady swimming next to her was deaf, and she had no idea what was going on. Great, now I have a whole new fear of drowning next to a deaf person. Fabulous. Roz wasn't allowed to be a movie addict because the kids were too busy walking, going on buggy rides, Sunday dinners at Grandpa's, summer camp, billiards, poker, roller skating. She won an award for speaking loudly, and she even got to see Valentino dance before before he was a really big thing. She did note that she had a lot of energy as a little girl, sounds like it, and she had trouble sleeping because she had major FOMO, fear of missing out. Rosalind recalled seeing a turkey run around with its head chopped off when she was a kid and thus became a lifelong vegetarian on the spot. She had no luck with boys because she always acted like, I'm a better man than you are, and this continued throughout adulthood. It was so bad that Comden and Green wrote a song, 110 Easy Ways to Lose a Man, that was based on all of her tales of dating woe. She was also really good at making up crazy stories. She really wanted to go to summer camp one year, So, she applied to get a job teaching horseback riding at the camp. She told the camp that her family owned the largest stables in the east, how dare they not know who she was. She came home, told her dad, hey, I got the job. He had made a deal with his kids, that he would match whatever their jobs paid them. Well, Roz was like, I'm getting 150 bucks. Who's laughing now, dad? The job was so boring to her that she ended up making all of her students perform a play on horses. She started smoking at a young age because her sister smoked, and then she almost burnt down their entire house. Mostly because she would walk around with one cigarette in her hands and one in her mouth. How much would that cost today? Cigarettes are like a million bucks a pack. In high school, she bought an old jalopy called Thunderbolt from a college student for $30. It didn't have a key, would only start using a hairpin, and the brakes didn't work that well. Like, all of these stories are straight out of a movie. I told you, like, it's it's insane how happy her childhood was compared to everybody else. Her father died of a heart attack when she was 19, and noted in his will that he would pay for whatever education his children wanted, but afterwards, they wouldn't get any more money until they worked at a job for at least three years. One of her little sisters milked this forever, like she's taking smiling classes. Roz wanted to be an actress, but knew her mom would not go for that, so she said, Hey, I want to be a speech teacher. And everyone thought, Hey, that's perfect for old loudmouth over here. She graduated from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in 1929, and she used to sit in casting offices all day waiting for any role. So one day she's sitting in the office and this old lady comes in asking, hey, are there any parts? And the copy boy yells at her like, get out of here, you old bag. Roz told him he's being a rude little shit, not in those words exactly. And he told her the lady's a terrible actor and just couldn't get it through her head. So Roz starts questioning reality. Is she even a good actress? Maybe no one's telling her the truth. So right then she gives herself a five year plan to become a real Broadway actress. And if that didn't happen, she'd resort to actually becoming a speech teacher. She got a job as a lead actress in a stock company that performed at a resort for TV patients. Then in the winter, she was in a stock company in Boston. The depression didn't really hit until 1930. That's when she started taking any crappy little job she could get. In 1934, Universal Studios called and asked her for a test. She asked them straight out, give me $750 a week. And they said, no then they called her back and she told them okay you need to pay for me to come out to hollywood for two weeks test me every single day and then if you like me you can give me 750 dollars a week and they said okay so the day the test arrives and the makeup man says i'm too busy to do you get out of here all right cool so she goes to the hairdresser i have to style Gloria stewart's hair i don't have time scram so she walks into the test and the director flips out because she looks like a mess and she dished it right back to him She said, now let me tell you something, nobody would do my makeup, no one would do my hair, but I know these lines and I'm gonna say these lines because I get $100 for saying them. Every single day, they had her reading Claudette Colbert's part for Imitation of Life and pretty much kept her off screen during the test. So she did a test at MGM, full hair, makeup, close-ups, MGM style. They loved her and wanted to sign her. Then Universal says, hey, we actually wanna do your deal of $750 a week, crap. Carl Lemley Jr. was in Europe while she tested and had just returned and he asked to see her. So she ugged herself up. Not so much that it would be obvious, but like too tight of clothes, Vaseline in her hair to make it seem stringy, She also put on a thick New York accent and told Junior how much she hated LA and missed her mom and wanted to go back to New York. The whole time, he's thinking, how the hell did we sign this mess? Yeah, go home, get out of here, you weirdo. The week that she got her first paycheck from MGM, she bought herself a white silk dress and a white fox stole, thinking she's hot shit, and walked into the clubs on Sunset Boulevard. Who did she run into? Carl Junior. He was actually really nice about the whole thing and thought what she pulled was pretty funny. Something else that sets Roz apart from all of our other guests was that she started in A pictures. The first one she was ever in was Evelyn Prentiss with William Powell. He was always really nice to her and never threw tantrums to get his own way. Roz felt like she only got the parts that Myrna Loy passed on. Myrna was over for dinner one night. She lived right up the road. And Roz told her she must toss the scripts out the door, let them roll down the street to her. And Myrna, who was thinking about all the crappy parts she actually had to be in, said, well, you must have been out the night that I got Parnell. So basically, if you've never seen Parnell, don't. Roz got invited to everyone's parties, the Selznicks, the goats, Hearst Castle, everybody had her over. She did regret that no one invited her to the fabled Hollywood orgies. Not that she wanted to go, she just wanted to be invited. She also claims that the only star she was really good friends with was Jean Harlow. That's not totally true. She had other movie star friends, but it seems like stars from this era love to point out how close they were to Harlow. They met while getting their hair done at MGM. Ross thought, who is this 10 or 11 year old girl sitting next to me? It was Jean, just without makeup, she looked super young, even though she was 23 at the time. What's really interesting is that Ross, who was really good friends with William Powell, who was very much alive when this autobiography came out, She said he was for sure not going to marry Jean Harlow, who was totally heartbroken over it. He was not great with Harlow, but that's like a different story for a different day. She did work with Joan Crawford quite a bit and mentioned that when she went to Joan's house, you knew you were in a movie star's home. Although she was in A Pictures, Roz didn't want to play the game as hard as Joan Crawford did to become an MGM movie star. She was fine just being a very high-end character actor. She did share some advice on how to properly enter a party, so I'll pass along the knowledge because it can be daunting for some people. She says, ring the doorbell, draw in three to four deep breaths. As you walk into the party, you have air down into your lungs. It only lasts long enough to greet people, and I say to myself, I'm as good as anybody here and better than most. She made 15 movies during the first four years at MGM. She should not have had to feel like an imposter. Even though she was in a lot of major movies, her first breakout role was in The Women, which she wasn't even considered for because she was too beautiful for the part. George Cukor said he didn't want her, but he would test her because our guy loves screen tests. We know this. She played the part two ways normal and kookadoo, and she got the role. The first day on set, George tells her, hey, do it that crazy way. And she's like, no, (laughs) the critics are gonna tear me apart, but she did it anyways. She said that when you work with George Cukor, he keeps you so busy, there's not any time to go back to your dressing room, and she loved being so stimulated. He was very aware that she was a better actress than he first thought, so he kept upping the ante and giving her new gags to do. And it really pissed Norma Shearer off. Norma said, is she going to knit? and talk and chew gum and let those glasses hang off of her nose in the scene with me? Yes, Norma, now let's go. Who can compete with that, Norma said. And Roz leaned over and said, I don't blame you kid, it's rough. Even LB heard how good Roz was doing and told her, I hear you're stealing this picture. To which she said, I'm trying, I'm always trying. Because of this little interaction, Roz wants her name above the title like Norma and Joan. So she calls out sick until she got what she wanted. The rap party for the film was at Truckadero, and Roz was dancing with QCOR when Ernst Lubitsch dances by and says, if you want more close-ups in the picture, don't mind dancing with your director, you better dance with Norma Shearer." So she did ross could not have known at the time but the women was the reason she found her husband frederick brisson was on a boat coming from europe to america and they played the women basically every night and he had to hear ross scream and carry on while the movie played finally he said i'm either gonna kill that girl or i'm gonna marry her so when he got to hollywood he told the friend he was staying with all about this crazy broad he'd been watching and wondered if he maybe in some weird way knew how to get a hold of ross and russell his friend carrie grant said Yeah, dude, I'm doing His Girl Friday right now. I can make this happen for you. Ginger Rogers, Irene Dunn, and Gene Arthur all turned down the role of Hildy in His Girl Friday. What were they thinking? Carrie loved to ad lib, and Howard Hawks kept all of it in, so Roz did not want to be overshadowed. She hired her own writer to add lines in for her, and it worked out great. Carrie was single at the time and he asked her out and she's like, oh, hell yeah, this is happening. But he kept asking her if he knew Freddie Brisson and she's like, what the F is that? A sandwich? Like I don't know what that is. So Freddie tagged along on their date and she was not impressed. He kept calling her for nine months and he could hear her in the background saying, I'm not in, I'm not in. All the while, the maid's like, oh, Miss Russell's not in today. That is until one weekend, when she called and asked him to join her and a bunch of friends going to Catalina Island. Freddie was from Denmark, and he went to school in England. His dad, Carl, was a well-known actor in Denmark as well. Freddie was a producer in London, then moved to America and became one in Hollywood, but he really took off when he went to Broadway. He did almost 50 plays during his career, and like, good plays. They ended up getting married in this cute little Dutch town called Solvang. It is like Central Coast, California. It's full of windmills and amazing pastries and cute little Christmas shops. They got married on October 25th, 1941. It was a church wedding because they're both very Catholic, but it was a three-day party for over 50 guests. Cary Grant was the best man. The morning after the wedding, there was a knock on the door, and in walks William Powell with a magnum of champagne. He and his wife were too drunk to drive home, so they stayed in the same inn as the newlyweds. And they were actually right next door to them. William said he heard everything, much to Roz's embarrassment. They had to drink the entire bottle before she could even look at him again. The honeymoon was them driving to new orleans then they went to cuba they met batista and then as soon as they got home the war was on and Freddie pretty much had to leave for five years because he was in the air force honestly because of freddy being successful on broadway and Roz mainly working in hollywood they weren't together as much as other couples were anyways this is probably why their marriage worked out really well so these two met because of the movie the women they also bought their home that they would live in for the rest of their lives from Mary Boland, who was Ross's co-star in The Women. She built the house, lived in it for a year, got bored with it, and then sold it. May 7th, 1943, Ross had their only child, Lance. She said the only regret she had about raising him was sending him to boarding school, which she only did because she didn't want him to turn out like a spoiled little Hollywood brat, which he didn't. He went on to become a reporter, and then he went to law school. He spoke at the TCM Film Festival a few years ago, before my sister Eileen. It was fantastic. He told some really good stories about his mom, and he's super tall. Like, Roz was 5'8", so am I, and he was way over 6 feet tall, but a very good storyteller. 1943 was a really tough year for Roz. She didn't mention it in her book because she she didn't like to complain. She said that people can become addicted to whining and she never wanted to bore others that way. Her husband said she had a mental breakdown. It was the year her son was born, so I'll make a guess and say it was actually postpartum depression. When she went back to work, she ended up signing a contract to do one picture a year at Columbia. I think Harry Cohen got along really well with funny, loud women because Roz said he treated her well, never cursed in front of her, and built her a dressing room that was lined in mahogany. Since she had just had a baby, she asked Harry if she could buy a few costumes so she could tour the army camps. She was one of the first movie stars to entertain the troops. A big reason for that was her brother was in General Patton's 6th Tank Division. I'm not a World War II buff, but I know General Patton was a big deal. Now, it was super common for stars to be able to buy their costumes at a discounted price. Harry F. And Cohen said, the war is on, I can't get material, no, you can't have anything. So, Ross said, I'm gonna call the Hollywood Reporter and tell them you prevented me from entertaining the troops. You wouldn't. I would. You're so smart. I'll tell you something, you can have the clothes for full price. You wanna spend $600 a suit? You can have it. So she tells him which one she wants. He calls wardrobe and has the girl collect them and bring them up. He tells her, go ahead and write me a check for $3,400. Then she tells him, you owe me money. She told him she bought a fur from the same furrier that his new wife uses. Roz says that she wore the coat that she bought in the last picture for him for 27 days. And she asked the furrier, how much do you charge to rent that same coat to the studio? And the guy says $100 a day. So you owe me $2,700. And the difference is exactly what I intend to pay for the clothes. So you can make that check out to Roslyn Russell. He threw the biggest conniption fit, yelling at people, asking why no one told him. He let her pay the difference, and as she left, he called her a Jew. What? You're the Jewish one, Harry. I do not understand these studio heads. They're insane. Harry Cohen is such a kook, like I need to have a drink after dealing with him. Let's I'll be right back. Also in the 1940s, Roz went back into the theater because she wasn't pleased with the roles she was getting on the big screen. She ended up doing Bell Book and Candle Off-Broadway to get her theater muscles working again. She went back to California afterwards and Mousy, William Powell's wife, it's not her real name, that was a nickname, called her up and was like, hey, I need you to come liven up a party at my place. So Roz goes over, sang off key and got the party restarted. The author who wrote My Sister Eileen was there and he asked her, hey, do you wanna do the Broadway version? but I'm gonna make it into a musical. And she's like, did you not hear me singing all night? I can't sing. But he wouldn't give up. He finally said, hey, would you do it now that I have Leonard Bernstein and Comden and Green doing the music for you? Uh, I mean, she can't turn that down. She can't say like, oh, they're not good enough because they're awesome. So the play opened February 1953 and immediately sold out through New Year's Eve 1954. She won a Tony for the role and tons of other awards. When she asked her son what the audience said about her, because he like, would hang out in the audience before and after. He got super flustered and was like, oh and she's like, Hey, they can't all hate me. It's sold out every night. So he finally said, All people say is How old is she? She thought that was a major compliment because everyone else in the cast is in their 20s and they're running all over the place with her. During this time, she gets sued by the IRS for taxes. She knew she didn't owe them anything. And luckily for her, Freddie was a pack rat and kept every scrap of paper they ever came across. Her father, who went to law school, said that if she didn't fight when something was wrong, then you're letting people think you actually did the bad thing. So when they showed up for trial, Roz drove up to the IRS in a moving truck full of papers. The IRS guys are like, what is that? And she leans out the window and is like, evidence. She won. They actually owed her money, and she got 6% interest on top of what they owed. She and Freddie traveled to Europe a lot, mostly for his work. Getting the rights to Coco Chanel's life story was a big deal, and Freddie ended up getting them because of their friendship. MGM had been trying to buy them since the 30s, pre her dating a Nazi, and Freddie turned it into a really popular Broadway musical with Katharine Hepburn, someone else who can't sing. Why are all these non-singing actresses doing Broadway stuff? Roz was able to get a copy of anti Main before it was published, and she stayed up all night reading it. She told Freddie, someone's been writing about my sister. Clara was nicknamed the Duchess. Even at a young age, Clara would pull the old, you're on your feet dear would you hand me xyz and basically make everyone do everything for her when she was younger she dated Rudy valley while he was at yale and became the fashion editor at town and country magazine Roz said when she was visiting her sister in new york one weekend they were walking down the street and of course clara knows everyone they pass she sees this guy she knows and waves him over how have you been you don't need to tell me i can see just by looking at you you're in the best condition of your life that kind of thing the girls walk down the street and clara says to Roz. Who was that man? And Roz is like, she is pulling my leg. Come on, you know him. And her sister says, no, give me a clue. Well, that was your first husband. Apparently Gloria Vanderbilt did the same exact thing. What happened to New York society women? They used to be so stylish and breezy and friendly like this. Now they're just ugh. So Auntie Mame was written by Patrick Dennis, whose real name was Edward Everett Tanner III. He was raised similarly to Patrick in the story, but Auntie Mame was an amalgamation of a few women in his youth. He was married with two kids, then later in life he came out as a bisexual. Bro, you wrote the gayest movie of all time in eternity. You don't need to come out, we know, it's okay. When his writing wasn't in vogue anymore, he became the butler for Ray Kroc, like McDonald's Ray Kroc. He was just a super bohemian dude, like Auntie Mame would totally approve of him. Roz played the part on the stage for one and a half years per her contract, then she got to play the part in the movie version. Roz states that she and Morton DaCosta, the director, did a lot of rewriting to the script to turn it into a decent story for the stage and screen. When her autobiography came out, Morton said he would not write a blurb for the cover because he said, quote, Of all the fantasies in there, there were, shall we say, a lot of liberties taken in that book. Dude, who cares? The play and the movie are great, like, whatever. Roz insisted on using the same little boy from the play in the movie. He is now a lawyer in Manhattan Beach, so if you did a white collar crime, he's the guy to call. Roz was nominated for an Oscar, but Susan Hayward won it for I Want to Live. During this time, she also won Woman of the Year for the Harvard Lampoon. And when she went to get her award, she told the guys, you must all miss your mothers because you could have had some hot young thing up here accepting this. To get away from her anti-main character, she did the film A Majority of One where she plays an old Jewish lady from Brooklyn and Alec Guinness plays an old Japanese man. Why? Like this movie sounds like it should be hilarious, but it is not a comedy she does insist that she actually was the one singing in Gypsy. The Interwebs says it was dubbed. I found a video on YouTube that says what you were hearing in that video is the real thing. I linked it on my blog, you can make up your own mind. All I know is Ethel Merman was pissed that she didn't play the part, but Ross said it was because Ethel could not carry a movie. Warners tried to make her a star years before, but it just didn't take. Ross has a lot of weird connections to the real life characters from Gypsy. June Havoc, baby June, was in My Sister Aileen, and Gypsy ended up doing The Trouble with Angels in uh, 1966 with Roz. the real mama rose was seriously insane and should be glad that the musical didn't touch on the fact that she was probably a murderer like i don't even need to do a party on her because (laughs) she's not coming Roz quit smoking cold turkey in 1967 after she had her first mastectomy then she got hit with really bad rheumatoid arthritis when she asked to see a specialist she was told there was not one this is one of the top diseases in America, and in the 1960s, almost 70s, not one specialist. That's insane. So she got her ass to Congress and said, give me some money for a research center. This is why she also looked really puffy in her later years. They injected her with a lot of cortisol, which actually isn't really great for someone who's suffering with arthritis. Because of her work in many, many charities, she was given the Jean Hersholt Humanitarian Award at the Academy in 1973. Frank Sinatra gave the award to her because they were super, super close friends. I'm sure you're thinking, what? Roz is totally not Rat Pack material. Well, Frank was singing on Catalina Island with Tommy Dorsey's band the first night she and Freddie went out there and they became really good friends way back then. Frank even threw the couple their 25th anniversary party. He rented out the top three floors of the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas, invited 50 couples just like they had at their wedding, the people from LA started the party at Roz's house, which is still there, eating caviar and drinking champagne. Then they got on a bus that took them to the plane that Frank chartered. In Vegas, they met up with the other group of party goers who came in from New York. Frank set everything up you want to go golfing or play tennis or fishing he's got it handled for the big dinner Ross had gotten the wedding photos of the couples invited and she used them as placeholders these guests had no idea she'd done that and the women were gifted silver bags stuffed with a $25 silver piece that Frank had arranged with the bank to say 1941 to 1966 their best man Cary Grant was sobbing through all the speeches because his marriage to Diane Cannon was totally in the crapper at this point actually a ton of guests got divorced shortly after this party oops kind of had the opposite effect there Roz even helped frank decorate his palm springs house he had guest house built so it was more like a compound he would literally raise a jack daniels flag every evening to tell his neighborhood pals hey it's time for cocktail hour Anywho, they drive into town and walk into a gallery and they see this man helping a lady customer. He sees who walks in and rushes over to them. Frank says, hey, how many paintings do you have? I will take all of them. And of course, the woman who was there first, OG Karen, pipes up and says, just a minute, you were waiting on me. The man says, I was waiting on you. I'm now waiting on Mr. Sinatra, and the store is now closed. During the housewarming party, which happened to be around Christmas time, Roz had a truck go up into the mountains and bring back trash cans full of snow so she could build a snowman that looked just like Frank for the party. They had one of the cutest relationships in old Hollywood, and I would totally watch a buddy comedy with both of them. In 1975, her cancer came back. Her film career ended in 1971 due to health, so she started writing her autobiography, which she was editing until three days before she passed away on November 28, 1976, at 69 years old. She's buried with a marker at the Holy Cross Cemetery in Culver City. When they buried her, Freddie said he had not noticed, while picking out the plot, that it had a view of the IRS building, and noted that Roz would totally laugh at this because nothing in life is certain except death and taxes. After Roz died, the Roslyn Russell Medical Center for Arthritis opened up at the University of California, San Francisco. So if you know someone with that disease, Anything that's known about it is because of her work to get money flowing towards it, so yay, good job Roslyn Russell. Freddie did go on and remarry after Roz passed away. It was not a happy marriage, and at the time of his death, they were separated. He died on October 8th, 1984, and he ended up winning four Tonys over the course of his life, so that's pretty impressive. Since they were married for 35 years, he is buried next to Roslyn. While reflecting on her life, Roz noted that she had no scandals or anything of that nature to report. So, what does that mean for us? Most of our guests have pages and pages of scandal. Should we invite Roz to our party? I think this one's a no-brainer. Everybody loved her like they would call her to fix a bad party. She already taught us how to make an entrance. And she can make a pretty good snowman. She's totally in. How can we not invite Auntie Mame? Honestly, if this one didn't work out, I was gonna have to punch somebody. For more information about this episode, head over to hollywoodpartypodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. If you like this show, tell every single person you know, like and subscribe on Apple, leave a review, it's free and it's super nice to do, or listen to us on Spotify or Anchor or however you're listening to us right now. See you next week.